tonight, if uh, you take God's precious word and turn to the book of Titus chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, and God willing, we'll be expounding verse 3 this morning, Titus chapter 1, verse 3, the title of the message is, The Promise Made Plain, The Promise Made Plain. We learned the past couple of weeks that God had promised eternal life before the world began. Paul told Titus in verse 2 last week that Christians believe the gospel, if you'll look in verse 2 with me, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. So we learned that God's promise to us of eternal life is a timeless promise given to us in eternity past, before time on earth began. And because of that, we learn that what happens in time cannot undo what God has done in eternity. When God promised Jesus and thus promised us eternal life to all who believe on him, that promise was made uh, in eternity past. And what unfolds in time, what man does in time, cannot undo what God has done in eternity. Now, when that promise was made... It was entirely unknown to man because man hadn't been created yet. So when the promise of eternal life was made, it was completely unknown to man. Even when Adam was created by God, that promise must have still remained unknown to him because, at least in Adam's mind, there was still the potential for him to either eat from the tree of life and live forever Thus, you would never need the promise of eternal life, at least as far as redemption goes, right? Or there was the potential for him to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and die. But after Adam sinned, God began revealing the promise of eternal life that he made. It was a process of revelation. And we don't know all the circumstances and details of how God made the promise to Christ in eternity past. We weren't there, and the the Bible doesn't go into great detail about that. But we do know some of the details of how God started this revelation process, how he began to reveal the promise of eternal life to man after he fell into sin. We know that God illustrated the promise through the sacrificial system. We see that very early on in Scripture. And we know that God made covenants with the Old Testament patriarchs that were based upon that original promise he made to Christ. And then each of these covenants that were made, the promise was repeated in greater detail was given. Okay? Nevertheless, the means by which God would redeem the world, how he would actually go about restoring life to those who died how he would actually put away sin and make the unrighteous righteous in his sight those details at least for the vast majority of people were still shrouded in mystery and that's why when Jesus came on the scene and he began talking about his death that would come and about his resurrection as as uh, as Jonah was in the belly's well for three days and three nights. So would he be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And he would talk like that to his disciples. 
And they had no clue what he was talking about. And once one of them said, oh, no, no, you're not going to die. Far be it from you, Lord. Now, if they knew that through his death and resurrection, the salvation of the world would come, they would say, yes, of course, Lord. Yes, of course. What a, what a marvelous time that would be. But they didn't know. That's why Satan and the unbelieving world crucified Jesus. Not understanding that by doing so, they were participating in the very thing that would accomplish our victory and seal their defeat. Since the gospel has been revealed to us today, we can look back now at the Old Testament. We can look back on many of those Old Testament passages and clearly see the prophecies of Jesus' death and resurrection for our salvation. But without that key piece of information of the cross, the empty tomb, and the resurrection, without that key piece of information, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection uh, in the Old Testament were not plainly seen. If you could think of it this way, I would say that they were hidden in plain sight. You know? With the information we've been given in the New Testament, we can look back into the Old Testament, we can see that they were definitely there, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But to the Old Testament saints, not having the knowledge we have today, they were hidden in plain sight. Tammy and I enjoy watching the different species of birds that come into our backyard. We enjoy feeding them, watering them, watching them. You like watching birds, Brother Doug? I do too. It's because you're a good man. Yes, sir. If you don't like watching birds... Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <laughs> I'm just kidding with you. But we enjoy watching all these different species of birds. And every now and then, <clears throat> there'll be a bird that'll land somewhere in the backyard, maybe a little different than what we normally see. And either Tammy or I will not see that bird. One of us will see it, but the other one won't. With all the leaves and the foliage and the different things out there, and the bird being so small, you know, it kind of hard to hard to just say oh over there you can't do that so the person who does see the bird will start pointing out the bird to the other party we'll say something like it's sitting on top of the fence just to the left of the grapevine do you see it and then the other person will say oh i see it now you see and after jesus died and rose again god commissioned A special ministry to do just that. (laughs) In the New Testament, he commissioned a ministry to point out the gospel of Christ in the old. That's what they began to do. When they started, they, they wouldn't tell the gospel beginning at Jesus. They would begin at Moses and all the prophets. And they worked their way from there. And what they were doing was taking their finger and pointing the eye of faith back to the Old Testament. So that they could look and go... Ah, I see him now. I see him now. There he is. What a wonderful thing. Making the cross, making God's promise of redeeming the world through Christ crucified, plain for everybody to see. So Paul says God gave his word of promise of eternal life before the world began. Verse 3, if you look there now, but hath in due times manifested his word. God gave his word in eternity past 
before time began, but now in due time has manifested that word. To manifest something means to make it known, to make it apparent so it can be plainly seen. From eternity past up until the time of Christ, the gospel in many ways was a mystery. But now in the New Testament, the gospel is manifested. God promised eternal life before the world began, but in due times he has manifested that eternal life to us. Now I want you to notice that Paul said God has manifested his word. You see that? He's, man, I'm getting excited. I get a little chill bumps about it. He gave the word of promise in eternity past. But now in due times, God manifested his word. Now, how many of y'all can see my words right now? You can't see them. God, on the other hand, rendered his word apparent. The promise made in eternity past of eternal life was manifested. The word was manifested in due times, rendered apparent. Absolutely Amazing. So in eternity past, the word of life was promised. In the Old Testament, the word of life was illustrated and repeated. But now in the New Testament, the word of life was manifested and thus seen and heard and even handled. First John, if you're taking notes, chapter one, first John, chapter one, verse one and two says, That which was from the beginning. Now, when did God give the promise of eternal life? Before the world began. So when the world began, the promise was from the beginning of the world. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Wow, how the scriptures just harmonize together. Then John goes on to explain. For the life, that eternal life promised before the world began. John says, for the life was manifested. And we have seen it. And bear witness. And show unto you, pointing it out. That eternal life, which was with the Father... May I add promise by the Father. And John said, and was manifested unto us. Brother Shepherd gets the choir members up here after church. And some sing alto, some sing soprano, some sing tenor and bass. And with that orchestration, all looking at the hymn book, or the, the song books with the different notes all orchestrated together. And then led by a song leader. And you look here at what we're reading in Titus. What the apostle John said. What you see in the Old Testament. Man, there, this was all written by one composer. And the Holy Spirit of God is just waving his hands as we read the scripture. And we're watching heavenly harmony as we're studying it's absolutely amazing to me john 1 
14. This is the gospel of John chapter 1, 14a. That is the first part of it says this. And the word was made flesh. How was the word manifested? How was this promise made before the world began? The promise of eternal life. How was this promise manifested in the New Testament so that the Apostle John could say, Oh, we didn't just hear it and see it. We've handled it. (laughs) We've touched it. We've looked upon it. How can you look and touch a word? Because, John said, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The term due times basically means the word's times, the time of the word itself. Because the Greek word translated due here, it means belonging to itself. This means God had decreed that Jesus, who was the Word, made flesh, the promise, who came. God decreed in eternity past that Jesus would come at a particular time in the history of the world. In His time. Jesus didn't die on the cross in the time of Adam, Noah, Abraham, or, as we said this morning, Elijah. Jesus didn't come in their time. Why? That wasn't his time. Jesus wasn't born when the children of Israel were gathered at Mount Sinai. Boy, wouldn't that have been something? The mountain quaking and everything. And instead of Moses coming back with two tables of stone, he comes back with a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Not what happened. Not what happened. That wasn't his time. But when the time came due... Jesus came in due time. In other words, at the precise time that God ordained for him to come, he came. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says this. says, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son. Even the timing of Jesus' death came at a precise time. Nothing was done by happenstance. Nothing was accomplished by coincidence. The gospel of Jesus Christ was perfectly thought out. And at every stage has been and will continue to be perfectly carried out at the precise time that God has ordained all the way to the very end of eternity future. God told Abraham in Genesis 15, 13 through 14. He said, thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. That's a precise amount of time. And then God said, and also that nation whom they shall serve, will I judge and afterward, after that 400 years and that time of judgment, shall they come out with great substance? What was God doing? God was giving Abraham the precise time when the children of Israel, who had not even, Israel had not even been born yet, by the way, would come out of Egypt. He was telling Abraham of the exodus to come after they served Egypt for 400 years as slaves. Why? Because the gospel is following a specific timeline. And before Jesus came, the Israelites would first 
have to be delivered from Egypt. They would first have to be taught about the principles of a Passover lamb. They would first have to be given the Ten Commandments, the law, to show them their sin. And that sin might, as Paul said in another place, become exceedingly sinful. God would first have to give them the tabernacle to illustrate how God would reconcile the world through himself through a sacrificial and priestly system. Had Jesus not come at a precise time when he did, then we would have never known the powerful meaning of Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us. Even after Jesus began his earthly ministry, before he was betrayed by Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane, his enemies sought to arrest him. John 7.30 says, They sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. It wasn't due time for his death. Everything's on a precise timeline. Even his arrest was ordained at a specific time. And nobody could arrest him until that time came. By the way, if you understand that, understand this. If everything Jesus did, if he came at the precise time, if he was arrested at the precise time, he taught at the precise time, he died, he rose again at the precise time, he's coming back at a precise time that no man knows. If I'm walking in his spirit, then what his spirit does in me is at a precise time. That makes sense? If I'm yielded to the Father... Through the sacrifice of Christ, and I'm walking in the spirit of Christ. Then the ordained timeline of Christ in me. Is being worked out in me and worked out in you. I firmly believe that we can through our disobedience to God's will and walking in our flesh. I believe we can expedite our death. I really do. I, 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 God was uh, originally promising Moses that he would go into the promised land. Now, he kept his promise, but not the way Moses would have enjoyed it. And because of Moses' disobedience, he died early. I believe we see uh, David's uh, uh, reign in Israel. Uh, even though it, he continued to reign until he died, that reign was hindered. It, 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 we can do things that can harm our walk with God and that I believe can uh, expedite our death but if we're walking in the spirit of Christ then I believe we are walking in the power of God's ordained timeline for our lives and thus we have the confidence when we're in the obedience to Christ of knowing as Jesus did that whatever comes our way is ordained of God. That's a wonderful place to be in life. You can't die in Christ. Until the time God ordained. You can't suffer in Christ. Until the time God ordains it. There is nothing about Jesus. That's not ordained. In the perfect will of God. At the perfect time God ordained it. Now I told you earlier. That God ordained a special ministry. To manifest the gospel to the world. 
the, the gospel he had previously hidden in the Old Testament. So let's go ahead and consider that special ministry now. Paul said, God hath in due times manifested his word. Let's go to the next part in your text now. Through what? Through preaching. Though the promise of redemption was clear in the Old Testament, once again, how God would accomplish our redemption, it was hidden in symbolisms and prophecies. But in due time, God took the veil off all that. In due time, God took the obscure message of Christ and rendered it apparent <coughs> excuse me, to the world. As I was studying this message or for this message, I was thinking how wonderful it was and how thankful I am that I am born. I was born and live in a particular time in history when I could enjoy the full revelation of the gospel. I'm glad I can preach about Jesus dying and being raised again. I'm glad that that I have that knowledge of how this is going to be accomplished. Like our Old Testament forefathers in the faith, we still look forward today to the future fulfillment of many of God's promises. Just like them. Today, I take the Bible and I preach the promises that we all look forward to in the future. The promise of the resurrection, the rapture, the restoration of the world, God's judgment of sinners, the millennial reign, and the eternal age. I preach these promises to you, and by faith, like our Old Testament forefathers, we embrace them. And we eagerly await their fulfillment. We look forward to these things like our Old Testament fathers, however. Not knowing what these promises are going to look like when they're fulfilled. I have so many people say, Brother Richard, uh, I wonder what this will be like. And a lot of times I have to say, I don't know. But I know it's going to be right. And I know it's going to be good. The other day... Tammy and I were talking about uh, the relationship that we'll have in the kingdom age. I love hanging out with my wife. She's my best friend. And we know by scripture that we're not going to be married in eternity. Jesus made that clear. But I can't help but wonder sometimes if we will enjoy a special relationship with our spouses. Has anyone ever wondered that besides me? Thank you. You know what? How many of y'all know the answer to that question? Raise your hand. Nobody does. Why? God hasn't revealed that to us yet. You know what? It may be that in the future we could look back to the New Testament and see the answer plain that we can't see now. Like we can look back to the Old Testament now and see the answers plain they couldn't see then. We don't know. But we know this. And I'm glad God did it this way. God kept things hidden from them. He gave them enough that they needed to know. So they needed to look forward to salvation. He gives us enough know, that we need to know now. So we can look forward to the actual restoration of all things through the gospel. Yet many of it's still hidden from our eyes. There's still a lot of fascination out there. And by faith we have to accept what can't plainly be seen. Just like the Old Testament prophets did you see the old testament saints it's very intriguing that way 
It's very fascinating that way. It's very exciting that way. Church, I don't know exactly what the future is going to look like, and I don't know all the precise details of how it's going to unfold. But I tell you what, I am so thankful that unlike our Old Testament forefathers, we are no longer looking forward to the great accomplishment of our redemption. I'm so glad that we're no longer like our forefathers, believing in a future atonement to come, but not knowing exactly what it's going to look like or how it's going to unfold. Who could have imagined God becoming flesh and then being crucified by Romans at the hand of the very priest he ordained to, to illustrate salvation in the Old Testament. Who could have thought that up? Who could have imagined the devil himself coming and tempting the Son of God to sin? Who could have figured it out? That in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus would eradicate what the first Adam did in the Garden of Eden. It's marvelous. I thank God that I'm not preaching to you the promise of a future victory over sin, but the good news of an accomplished victory over sin. I'm so glad that we no longer believe in an obscure promise in the future, but we believed in a fulfilled promise in the past. Through the New Testament ministry of preaching, we can now gaze back into the Old Testament and see the vivid details of Jesus' death and His burial and His resurrection. And we can gaze into the New Testament present and see victory today for what Jesus accomplished back then. We can march into the New Testament future with a greater understanding than what our forefathers had back then when they marched into the future. Through the ministry of preaching, God informs, God reveals, God takes like me uh, in, in the backyard with Tammy. He takes his loving finger and through his New Testament preachers, he points out the gospel birds on the fence that we could not see beforehand. The preaching ministry, therefore, is one that makes Christ Known to men. It manifests him. In his redemption ministry. And it makes Christ known better. To the saints. It is a ministry. Of manifesting. The wonderful truths. Of Jesus Christ. That's my job. And this ministry Paul said is one. Look back in the text. Which is committed unto me. And that word committed means to be entrusted to someone's care. I uh, was going to preach on where we got our Bible from one time, long, long time ago. And there was a very wealthy man that I knew who happened to have an ancient copy of the Bible or, or, or of uh, like a scroll. I'm talking leather leather part of a scroll and uh and i knew about it and i had just come here as a pastor this is almost 10 years ago many of y'all weren't here then many of them have gone on to heaven maybe some of you know 
Maybe some of you skipped out and just didn't come to church that night. But I brought it up here and I set it up here. Now listen, something that old is what, Brother Shepherd? It's very huh? fragile and what else for, that means very much to you? Very expensive. Very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. That's why Brother Shepherd does not have one hanging in his home. He may have a photo of one hanging in his home. All right. When that man. Now I knew it was a lot of trust. Because you can't replace those things. To take a document. That's. You know. I don't know. Centuries. Millennia. Years old. And to take that. And to put it into my hands. Oh my. I knew it would be a treasure for the people here to see. Boy, I carried that out here like this. And I laid down the back of my... Oh, my goodness. I laid it up here. And I didn't want anyone around me when I carried that. And I felt so good when I finally got that back to his house. And I put it from my hands back into his. That's the idea that Paul's using here. Far more valuable than a piece of cowhide with Scripture written on it. Old Testament Scripture written on it. Far more valuable than that is the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's priceless. It's the most valuable thing known to man. It's what causes them to overcome death and live forever. And Paul said that God is taking, has taken that valuable ministry and entrusted it to me. He committed it. He entrusted it to my care. Which is what that means in the Greek. As Paul was handed something so valuable and so precious that one day he'll have to hand back to God in the sense that he'll have to give account to God for how he took care of that. If I would have broken that document, if I would have been reckless with that document, I would have had to give an account to that man. I would have had to made it right. And in the same way, one day, we all must stand before God and give an account. And pastors, the preachers that God's ordained to point out Christ, they have to give an account to. They have to take that precious treasure, hand it back to God, and give an account for how they cared for it. And my job as a pastor, as we learn here, is to manifest to you the things of Jesus Christ. That's it. It's not to build a big name for myself. It's not to build a big building. It's not to create a big following even. Jesus had a greater following. Before he revealed the gospel. And then his following went down really fast. And they eventually killed him. My job is to manifest Christ. If you can go to a church. You can walk into the doors. And you can walk back out of those doors after service is over and not know the Bible better than when you came in and not understand it in light of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Then that person is not doing his job. That pastor is not doing his job. I, I sent something to the church the other day uh, and uh, many may not have understood the significance of it, but uh I was reading, there was a popular 
uh, Southern Baptist Church in Athens, where I'm, where I live, and uh, the one of the pastors there uh, posted on Facebook about a uh, prophetic dream that he had. Southern Baptist Church, a prophetic dream, and uh, he began teaching that dream on Facebook. And I warned y'all about this a little while back when I saw another man beginning to do that and getting very popular uh, nationwide where they start preaching their dreams. And, and, and amazingly, in his teaching of this dream, there's no scripture. It's just teaching a dream. And suddenly the dream takes the same authority as the Bible in these people's minds. And one of the people said, I also had a dream uh, about so-and-so. Maybe I need you to interpret it for me. And the Southern Baptist Patrick said, come see me, we'll talk. You see how dangerous that suddenly gets? A dream about a fake snake that he'd wrapped up the fake snake's head with tape. And while he did it, he stuck his hand on a piece of cactus. Suddenly, instead of having teaching inspiration in the light, we have people teaching their imagination in the night. You see? And suddenly it's all wrong. When you look at dreams in the Old Testament, and God reveals things through dreams, it was always things that were needed for the time in things that could not be gotten anywhere else. We have dreams today that the prophecies don't come true. We have everything we need right now in the Bible. And, uh, and uh, when he got through, uh, the, he said uh, that the, the point of the dream that God gave him was that if you have a fake snake, if there's any people in your life that are fake, any things in your life that are fake, you need to get rid of them. And that you have to ask the Holy Spirit specifically to show you what people are fake. And then he'll show you the ones that are fake. And then you get rid of them out of your life. My goodness, what a waste of time. That's not his job. And I don't believe that's of the Lord. I don't believe that's of the Holy Spirit at all. The ministry committed to us, to pastors, to the apostles, which I'm not, but that was committed to the apostles and then handed down to the pastors. It is to take the word of God, take the finger of God's gift of teaching and preaching and point out Jesus, his work and how it relates to your life in the scriptures. That's where it's seen. That's where truth is known. And outside of that, someone's bringing to you a fake document. And they're, they're showing you something that's not entrusted to their care by the Holy Spirit. How and where a person will spend eternity depends on the faithful execution of the manifestation of Jesus to the world. You hear that? Notice that, that, that Paul said, again, it was committed to his care. It wasn't invented by Paul. It was committed by God to Paul's care. And that means the gospel ministry didn't belong to Paul. It was enjoined to Paul by God. If God has placed you in the position of sharing the gospel 
Always remember the ministry doesn't belong to you. It is a priceless and gracious uh, treasure that was entrusted to your care. And as an apostle, this priceless treasure was committed to his care and is still entrusted to preachers today. Look back in your text. How is it entrusted to his care? How is it entrusted to my care? It's entrusted according to the commandment of God, our Savior. The God who told us, the God who commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And the way we go about preaching this good news And the message that we preach when we go, Paul said, is according to the commandment of God our Savior. God did not call us to make something new. He didn't call us to come up with some new invention. He didn't say, go make something new. He said, go make someone known. There's a difference. On the way home, there's this billboard I've told you about before. The billboard changes all the time. It's always advertising a very, very popular church, a different church than what I was telling you. Both of them are Baptist. You're getting where you don't even know Baptist anymore. You don't even recognize them anymore. And uh, now the, the, the billboard has, it looks like a rock concert on there. The billboard has a big stage and a big crowd and look like laser lights coming. Just Is that really what church is about? Is that what we're supposed to be doing here? God didn't commission us to build up a name for ourselves. He didn't commission us to stir people up and get them all excited. Have them jumping up and down and doing all this stuff right here. Tammy and I were, were, uh, uh, I read uh, some poetry to Tammy this morning from 1819. I sent it to Brother Shepherd. That's some rich doctrine in that poetry, wasn't it? Rich doctrine. And we started talking about if someone were to make up a song today in most of these churches, it'd be like one of my brothers in Christ describes it, a mile wide and an inch deep, (laughs) you know, not very deep at all. Just Lord, we praise you. Lord, we come to you. Lord, we lift your name up. Lord, we do this and we that. And there's no deep, rich doctrine inside that that. That, that poetry uh, uh, I read uh, this morning. Hang on a second. I'll read it to you. Come to Calvary's holy mountain. Sinners ruined by the fall. Here a pure and healing fountain flows to you, to me, to all. In a full perpetual tide, open when our Savior died. Come in poverty and meanness. Come defiled without within. From infection and uncleanness. From the leprosy of sin. Wash your robes and make them white. Ye shall walk with God in light. Come in sorrow and contrition. Wounded, impotent, and blind. Hear the guilty free remission. Hear the troubled peace may find. Health this fountain will restore. He that drinks shall thirst no more. He that drinks shall live forever. Tis a soul-renewing flood. God is faithful. God will never break His covenant of blood. Signed when our Redeemer died. Sealed when He was glorified. James Montgomery, 1819. What was he doing? He was manifesting Jesus in that poetry. 
deep, rich doctrine. God has commissioned preachers not to build up a name for ourselves, but he's commissioned us to simply deliver to others what he has delivered to us. To take the good news that he has committed to us and preach that message unto them. For the gospel, the gospel promise is the most important thing. And only when we make the promise plain, you listening? Only when we make the promise plain will sinners finally know the life, peace, and love that God has for them. Go back to our title this morning. The promise made plain. To take the scriptures. To take the obscure. To take the scripture verses that people wrinkle their eyes up and say, I wonder what that means in their personal study. That they can come and sit in the pew. Have them made plainly known to them and them leave and say, thank you, Lord Jesus. That's the pastor's job. In the New Testament church. With that we'll go ahead and close. And Lord willing we'll take back up. In Titus 1 verse 4. I went a little longer than I normally did. But I missed those Presbyterian church bells. But that means when we get through praying. You'll have to hear them ring in your ears. When you go out to your car. All right, Lord we thank you so much. That you made a promise. So long ago. And you've kept that promise. And Lord, there was a lot of mystery in that promise, but faithful people believed it and held on to what they knew but didn't fully understand. And God, now we still look forward to the future and there's many things we don't fully understand, but we hold on. We look for a city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God, but we can't yet really imagine what that city is going to look like. I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor hath it entered to the heart of man, but you've revealed it unto us, Father, through your prophets. It's obscure, but we look for it. But Lord, one thing that is made plain today is the blood Jesus shed on the cross. And sinners need to go there to be justified by faith in Him and in Him alone. And Lord, I pray, Father, that You'll help everyone at this church who's involved in the ministry of teaching to make the promise plain to those who hear it. And I pray if there be any here today, Lord, who may have had some type of religious action in the past, maybe they came down Uh, to the front. Maybe they repeated a prayer. Maybe they got baptized. Maybe they turned their life over to you. But they have not come to the cross and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and the great atonement He made there. I pray, Father God, that they will give up their religion and embrace the promised redemption that makes us whole through Him. In His precious name we pray. Amen.